Hello and welcome to the next episode of Shelf Impactors. In this episode, Lisa and I are extremely lucky to be joined by the founder and owner of Avolo Hotels and Avolo Group, Girish Junjanwala. Girish is an extremely inspirational and successful entrepreneur, and he shares his experience with us about the growth of the Avolo brand, which has proudly very recently celebrated its 10th year. The Avolo Group currently own and run 10 independent boutique hotels in both Hong Kong and Australia, with plans afoot to open the doors to many more. Within the podcast, Girish talks to us about what it means to be an entrepreneur and how risk-taking has been part of his mainstay as he's grown his organisation. He also provides us with his definition of passion, or, or more so what, at what point work ultimately becomes a passion. He shares his valuable knowledge around what it takes to create a truly unique hotel brand and furthermore demonstrates the importance of creating a brand with an emotional connection to its customer. And as with almost all visionaries, Girish prides himself on his own drive for continual innovation within his organisation. Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you very much. Um, today, we have a guest with us. Lisa and I are being joined by Girish Juanjunwala, I think it's the right way to pronounce it, from Avola Hotels. Sorry, Girish, how, did I pronounce that correctly? Okay, it's like the month of June. Junjunwala. Junjunwala. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> no, Lisa, you said that before. <laughs> I've been practicing all afternoon. <laughs> Fantastic. So um, I'll allow Girish to uh, introduce himself very, very quickly in a second. He is a very successful hotel owner who has a vast background in not just developing hotels, but service apartments and has sort of a, a rather eclectic career and is a bit of a serial entrepreneur. And I'll let him talk about that in a second. And I just want to thank you, Girish, for coming on to talk to us today. Because like you and I have been connected for a while now. Yes. Um, I think you came to my attention in terms of Avolo were one of my bold brands that I just felt were really shaking it up a few years ago now. And you kind of continued to do that throughout your career. And I think that you and I became LinkedIn friends and it kind of progressed from there because I just love some of the stuff that you're putting out. I'm always excited by what I see from Avolo. Um, so I'm super excited to have you on. Um, can you tell us a bit more about your background and how you became to be in the hotel world? Sure. Well, I'll, I'll start with my background. I was born and brought up in Hong Kong. So I lived uh, my life in Hong Kong. I only went to university to study and I came right back, joined the family business. And shortly after, I got into real estate and in the hotel business. So the hotel part of the business is actually relatively young. Uh, I would say we are 10 years old. We turn 10 next month on the 10th of October. Which is super exciting and um, and still opening more hotels. I actually listened to another um, podcast um, today with one of your staff members, Vince Lambrino, um, yes. over in Sydney. And he was talking about how well you've pivoted actually at the moment in terms of retaining staff. Um, and so what I'd actually really like to ask is your core values and you as a person feels like it ripples through the Avolo company. Like you're brave, you're not scared of doing something a bit different. And I, that, that's kind of that's why they stand out as a brand. But is that part of you? Because I feel like that comes from you. And, and I've looked at your personal website as well. And there's a lot of you in there. There's a lot of I'm brave and I'm risky. And, you know, I'm just going out there to do it. And that's what I love. And is that you? And then that's rippled through to the business? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think 
You know, what I, uh, what my message is always to the people is, look, you know, we have to, we have to do things the way we feel what is right. And rather than follow the industry or follow anyone, we have to understand what our customers are all about. And, you know, I always talk about one thing is, how can we connect to our customers emotionally? This is what Overlaw has been about. And in order to do that, we cannot follow anyone else or, or you know, we have to go about what we think is right. And that's why I always tell my people, I said, Raise a board and let's start and let's start thinking again. What is it that they're really looking for and how can we deliver that to them? And how do you do that, Girish, just out of interest? I mean, how is it you're looking to, you, you, I mean, you, you're moving in different markets, aren't you? You've sort of, you started off Avola Hotels in Hong Kong. If I'm right in remembering, in 2013, you moved into Australia. If we go back a little bit, how, what made you make that decision? Because I guess the bulk of this conversation we're going to have today is about sort of risk taking and entrepreneurship. And you're the perfect person to speak to. And when, when we talk about those sorts of, I guess, personality traits. But you made that move from Hong Kong, which must have, it's quite a brave, bold move. How did that happen? Because I know we're talking about what the consumers are looking for, because you're moving culturally into a whole different market and then trying to understand what that market's looking for. How did you go about that process? Okay, well, the the what we did, we started out with Hong Kong, of course, and uh, Hong Kong being my hometown and home country. Uh, we started in Hong Kong, and you know the, how the whole journey started for me for Overlaw was I did all the things that irked me about the hotel stays I had stayed in, and everything I hated about hotels, I said this is what I will not do when I'm when I start my hotel business, and that's how we went about it. So you know. Um, there are a lot of cool hotel brands out there. And, you know, some of them have single letters and so on. And, you know, they, well, they're definitely cool. But do they offer, do they really offer a cool experience? I think that was what was lacking. I mean, having a cool brand and so on, but not offering that experience was what I, I, I saw that they did not offer. And this is something that we want to make very different overload. And that's how we started in Hong Kong. And we noticed our demographic in Hong Kong was predominantly 24% was Australians. And until today, uh, a large the largest demographic for us remains to be Australian in Hong Kong. And of course, also in Australia, naturally, I mean, uh, uh, being an Australian market. So we said, let's follow our demographic. And uh, we we said, let's go try out and we just know somewhere that's a, a cool place to be in Melbourne. And uh, we opened up our first hotel there. And I think it was probably the best decision we made because we never looked back. From day one, when we started, we were just uh, going gangbusters. I mean, everybody loved it. Um, and it just it just did extremely well. And naturally, from there, we say that we have to go to the next next place is Sydney. And you know, you have to be in Sydney if you're in Australia. And so we looked at Sydney. So we just went about a step-by-step approach. But really, what we really did was follow our demographic. Um, the demographic liked it. They understood what we were doing. And we could relate. They could relate to that. It means we are doing the right thing. So we naturally just followed our demographic and and went to Australia first. I think in one of the other podcasts that you've done recently, you talked a lot about addressing some of those pain points for consumers, and I think that's really what's made you more successful as well. I think you talked about hotel rooms being like a Seven Eleven, and everything was a transaction. So yeah, there's so many hotels out there that are cool, they're trendy, they're the places that the kids want to go and party, but like you said, those little things and all of those little things added together make the experience and people want experiences now. And I think it was those little little changes that you've made 
are what's made of Volo just that bit different. And that's what, that, you know, you've, you've talked about it from a consumer point of view and not from your own point of view. And I just love that about what they're doing. In terms of like, I love the campaign that you've got going on at the moment about obsessive cleaning. It's just great. Like it's, you know, it's understanding the psychology of people who want to stay in your hotels. And I think it's fantastic. That's right. Oh, thank you, Lisa. And I think this is what uh, we've been about. Uh, it's just all the things that, you know, that we didn't like about hotels and what I didn't enjoy about hotels is I made sure it wasn't there. And, you know, you do all those things and, and next thing people are saying, hey, you know what, he's disrupted the industry. And you're not going out to disrupt anything. You just did all the things that you hated. And, uh, and you know, people all of a sudden connect to it and say, hey, wow, here's somebody who really understands the business. And, um, you know, whether it's like you said, I mean, you know, being less transactional, I mean, not sleeping in a 7-Eleven and uh, we can pick up the bottle of water, drink it, um, and without worrying about being charged within nanoseconds of you lifting the bottle. You know, it's just these unfriendly touch points. I mean, even the plug points. I mean, you look at some of the new hotels that are being built even today. They don't have plug points next to the bedside. And today it's so important to charge your mobile phone, right? And if you've got a partner with you in bed, hey, they need to charge your phone too. And you need plug points on both sides of the bed and not occupied by the table lamp. You know, reaching behind the nightstand, and you know, which is full of dust and so on. So these are the things that kind of, uh, you know, we went out and said, how do we make it effortless for our customer? It has to be, you know, data should not have to use their, their mind or their brains to think about how do they get to what they need to do. So it should just be effortless. Everything is there. Everything is available. You know, no thinking required. Do what you have to. Open the, you know, open a, the, the little packet of chocolates or whatever it is and consume away because there's no charge, right? So there's no worry about it. You know, whether it's um, you and your Wi-Fi, I mean, you don't have to worry about connecting onto two, more than two devices or, or paying for, you know, getting the standard service for free. And then the premium service, which is where you what you really need because today is all about downloading videos and that you have to pay for. And that is just... You know, kind of irking. And I said, no, you know what? You can do, connect as many devices as you want and it should be free throughout. I mean, you know, super high-speed internet should be available to everyone. And I always use this, Adarsh, when I'm talking to, to my people, I say, you know what? Do you know in some countries in Europe, like Finland, it is against the law to charge for Wi-Fi. So it's a human right to have free Wi-Fi. And I said, look at us here. I mean, we're trying to charge for Wi-Fi. The hotels here really try to charge for Wi-Fi. Come on, let's get real, right? So it's all these little things. I mean, continue to upgrade our product. I mean, as technology comes in, I always tell, I always speak about this is that let's not put in technology just for the sake of technology. We have to be careful what technology we want to put in. So for example, we put in the Alexa. I think that was very important because now you can just say, hey, Alexa, play my favorite tune from the 80s or whatever it is and boom, you know, she starts uh, belting it out. I mean, so it's connected. You know, there's Apple TV, you can you can log on, you can, everybody's carrying their own content on their iPads or their iPhones, whatever it is, and you can stream straight away into your TV screen and not have to watch it, you know, on your little screen. So it's the, the little things that make it important to, to connect with the customers, to understand what today's customers really want. Am I going to go for the touchless, keyless thing? No, I'm not going to. 
I've we've talked about it. I said, no, I still want an interaction when a guest walks into the hotel. They're greeted by a front office manager and say, you know, they, they converse with them and say, hey, how's your day going? Where do you just fly in from? And so on. Hey, well, I hope you have a good day. And don't forget, happy hour today is five o'clock. You know, come and meet some of the staff members. And is this kind of a human connection I'm talking about that's so important? So do I want to replace it with, with uh, key cards that you go to a little kiosk and you enter it? No. I mean, we're not a train station after all, right? Exactly. And have you always done that? Because you flash yourself as a serial entrepreneur. And have you always been of that question in mind? So I know that you flash yourself as a black sheep. And I think because we we come at the podcast from a creative point of view, so we try and think differently and we try and push the, the barriers anyway. But did you grow up thinking, if someone tells you this, I'm going to be the person to come in and go, but why can it not be this? So if someone tells you an hour of work is nine till five, you go, well, like it, it doesn't work that way in everyone's mind. And I yeah. feel like you, have you always been that person to go, but why? Yes, absolutely. Ever since I was young. <laughs> you know, my, my parents actually get very upset at me, especially my mom, because, you know, I'm of Indian descent and you know, there are a lot of Indian traditions we have to follow at home. And, you know, because my mom is, was, well, she's gone now, but she's very orthodox and she's just say, just follow it. And I say, but why? I need to know why I'm doing what I'm doing. Then if I know why, I'll do it nicely, right? I mean, you'll do it with your heart. And she used to just go and tell my dad, can you tell your son to stop asking so many questions? But it was always a why, you know, you are, once you understood why. So, you know, a lot of times when my, my team members come and say, no, Gersh, we've got to understand this work-life balance. I said, yeah, I agree, work-life. Do you have a, is there a ratio? Can you tell me? Because I don't know what it is. Is it so many hours? I mean, is it written somewhere? Work-life balance is how you create it and what you, th to me, extreme work is extreme pleasure. So I enjoy it. So that's my work-life balance. And I enjoy working. So it's up to you how you perceive that, isn't it? Definitely. And I think that definitely a lot of our listeners, because they're from the creative background, like we love, like I love what I do. And I can't imagine, people always say that you shouldn't let work define you. But if you, if you do something that you love, like I'm, like, if I don't have work, I wouldn't know what I have. And yes, it does define me like creativity and thinking further ripples through everything I do in different touch points. And I just, like, I, I, I'm not, I'm not very good at understanding the people who go, I just clock in and I clock out. And it's just every now and again, you'll probably have a day where you go, I wish I was one of those people. But deep down, like it's not who you are. Through the frustrations, that's your resilience as well. I mean, you fought through and, and you know, there's been some, some probably tough times, I imagine, um, throughout. I mean, there's, tell me about something that's been a struggle to get through, but you've got through the other side of it with the business. Oh, there have been several struggles. But I just come back to this um, on the passion side of things um, that you touched upon. <clears throat> I know many entrepreneurs and many entrepreneur books are written about, you know, follow your passion and, you know, it has to be your passion and so on. I, again, have something I want to say about passion. Look, when you first start out your business, it's not a passion. It's, it's survival. You know, you have to survive the business. And when you survive and you start doing something out of it, you cross the first hurdle, then it starts becoming a passion. But in the beginning, it's like you hate this thing because, you know, you got wages to pay. You don't know where the cash flow is coming in. What's going to happen next? And you're wondering, sitting there and saying, what the hell have I got myself into? So it's not a passion at that poor moment. And that moment is like, how do I get through this? How do I get through this survival? And once you start making things happen, you start hearing people say, hey, th that was a good move. And you say, you know what, this is turning out to be fun. And then it starts becoming a passion. So I think the passion part follows the survival. 
once you survive the business, it becomes a passion. You could be passionate about something. I've been passionate about stuff that, that didn't make it. Uh, I've started businesses that, that were passionate, but they never made it because I was so passionate about it that you forget the, the whole meaning behind it because at the end of the day, you have to work and you have to earn money from it. You have to pay people. You have got stakeholders, employees, and everything else. I think a lot to put survival and then becomes a passion. And it's so much more rewarding, isn't it, if you've had to work for it and push through those pain points and those barriers. They always say, don't they, some of the best moments in your life are the ones that at the time were just terrifying or were the hardest bits. You look back and go, I remember that time. Like that was like we made it. And there's yeah. something really, really rewarding about that. And I guess even now you're probably, like I've seen some of the stuff that you're doing to cope with the pandemic when some hotel chains are going under, which is really hard to see. But what you guys are doing is you're, again, you're just rethinking like, where can I innovate? And where can I push forward? Do you think you'll ever lose that? Like as a person, like I feel like it's inherent in your personality. is like, I'm going to keep pushing. Yeah, it, it does happen. Look, you know, last week I was kind of getting depressed and, you know, I told my, my CEO in Hong Kong, Tim, I said, hey, so Tim, come, let's have a, have a drink with me because you think, what's the matter with you? You seem a little bit, I say, you know what? We've been doing this, forget the pandemic timing. We've been doing this in Hong Kong since July last year during the social unrest. So we've been more than 12 months into this whole, you know, hospitality sector getting affected part of it. And you, know, you keep coming up with new ideas and you keep trying to do things and so on. And there comes a point and say, you know what, we've done so much and how much more? I mean, you, know, you have to keep thinking about what's next, what's next, what's next? How do we keep ahead? And it's not just about keeping ahead, it's how do we make the change that we need to? Because, you know, it's during these times that if you think right and you do the right things, your brand will get registered for the future. I mean, people recognize all the things you did during these times. You know, like Winston, that famous search saying about Winston Churchill, never let a good crisis go to waste. Let's use it to our benefit, right? And let's see what we can do with that. And I think you as, you as a brand is a, is a lot more able to do that because we've been, like Mark and I talk a lot about the power of brand um, and how there's so much marketing at the moment. There's so much clutter out there in the world. But because your brand is built into it, the bravery, the risk-taking, the innovation and the pivots, people look to you for that. And I think your brand is really strong because of it. Like it's consistent. Whereas a lot of people during the current pandemic have put out all sorts of deals, special offers, and, and they're not thinking about people. Whereas because you came from a point of always thinking about people, you've been able to continue that now. And that's what will see you through to the future. That's right. Well, I, th I think that has been important. I always, you know, when I speak to my marketing, I say, listen, guys, putting out a discount is easy. I, I really don't need you guys to do that. I can just put out a send, hey, 30% off room rates and you know, $3,000 voucher or whatever it is and food voucher. That's the easy way. But you know what? That you, There will be bargain hunters that want to come through that way. It's the same thing I, when I talk to, to people who, who the kind of customers who go through OTAs uh, to book a room because they're just looking up at a price point. Now, we can't do without OTAs, but how do you get people to come direct? So I think this is very important is that how do we relate to the customer? How, how can we understand what exactly it is they're looking for? For example, staycations. We came up with a whole way of how we look at staycations. Everybody was putting out staycations because 
people want to get out, right? I mean, there's pent up demand and people want to get out and spend the night in a hotel and enjoy a meal in the room and everything. And we said, look, how can we make it even more special? What can we do that's a little bit more different? What is it that they're looking for? How can we relate to them? You know, of course, we allow pets in, a, in, in, a, in a, you know, you could, you're allowed to bring a pet in and, you know, we take care of the dog and everything else and, and so on. But it's also like, for example, a restaurant and room, uh, you know, where we, we give you a full restaurant experience within your room. We, we bring this, uh, the, the trolley bar, you know, outside your room and you know, the guy makes you a you know, martini or Negroni or whatever you fancy at five o'clock or six o'clock in the evening, gives you a drink outside your room if you want one, or they say, more than welcome to come down, come, come down to the bar if you want to. So it's just thinking about all the different things that we can do for you. And this is what I think is important and to keep thinking from the customer's point of view, what can you do better for them? What is it that they're looking for? Because they are tired as well, right? I mean, they've been through a tough time. We've all been through a tough time. We all need that little bit of break. And you need that smile come across your face, right? So, hey, you know what? There are people who care who care about us. And that's what we want to be. Girish, am I, am I right in thinking that there was, a, there was a proposal put forward, or perhaps it was something that you, you were doing, is creating isolation bubbles, if you like, for travellers. So people coming back from travel needed to do two weeks of isolation, which I know a lot of people are having to do here in the UK. Is that something you're providing as a service in some of your hotels? Absolutely. Absolutely. We're doing this in Hong Kong. We could not do this in Australia because Australia, the, the government only chose the hotels that they had contracts with. So we were not uh, included in Australian ones. But we did this in Hong Kong. And... Uh, we did it. We did it our way again. I mean, we feel that, you know, just because you had to quarantine and you've come back to your home country, you know, people traveling back to Hong Kong after many few months and, you know, you have to quarantine in a hotel. And we say, you know what, these guys are tired. They've, they've been away and, you know, they, they have to quarantine. We, you know, we want to make them feel like they were, you know, they were people. They were people we really care about. And we said, you know what, we're going to do all the things to make them happy. And, you know, whether it's bringing them barista coffee at 11 o'clock in the morning, uh, giving them the cocktail in the evening, giving them exercise mats, um, you know, all those kind of things that just brings, you know, and says, you know what, I'm being treated like a human. I mean, you know, of course, with the Netflix, we also send a bag of popcorn, so you can have, you know, popcorn with, or, or nuts or whatever it is. Every day is a different snack. You can deliver to your room. So it's just that feeling that, hey, you know what, I'm not being treated like a prisoner in my cell. Because that's what really it is, right? They can't leave their room. And we try and entertain them as much as they can. So they still feel good about being in their room. And the room feels good, right, at the same time. Because you provided all those things to them that connects with them and say, you know what, I'm being taken care of. And that's what always I think it's that, that personal service, isn't it? It's, it's almost like it's a home from home. And if people feel comfortable with that, then as a brand, if you're providing that too as a service, that just somehow it helps your brand sort of grow in terms of having that friendly nature about it. And I think that's what you've managed to do. And it's nice to see. I think we've got, I've got some questions later about what, uh, where you're looking to take the Avolo brands. It seems to be, certainly over the last 10 years, has grown. Um, not necessarily really quickly. I think that's down to the fact you as an, in your entrepreneurial spirit have understood that I'm not going to just rush into things. Everything that I do is calculated and it's sort of it's understood, albeit there's a degree of risk. And at least and I've spoken about this before about uh, bravery versus recklessness. You haven't so much taken the risk. You've been very brave about your approach. 
I just wanted to touch a little bit on entrepreneurship a little bit more and talk about in your in your own mind the characteristics of an entrepreneur because Lisa and I discuss this a lot and understanding what an entrepreneur is to us I find it very I find it challenging when people call themselves an entrepreneur I, I almost believe that you need to earn it and people call you an entrepreneur you don't call yourself one bizarrely enough I would call you an entrepreneur without a shadow of a doubt what do you think those fundamental characteristics are about an entrepreneur? Okay. Um, <clears throat> one of my favorite sayings is by Thomas Edison. And I think that pretty much sums up what I think of what an entrepreneur is. So Thomas Edison's saying was, vision without execution is hallucination. And I think that is probably the best sum up of what I think an entrepreneur is. Because if you just dream and do not execute, you're hallucinating because you need to execute what your dream is. So you know what a lot of people dream and the, the, the difference between entrepreneurs, they execute the dream and they make that happen. And how you make that happen is important. So having the right team members who buy into your story, who believe in you, you know, that's important. So that's what I think to me it is. Besides the usual risk taking, having the right ideas, coming up with, with things. And I mean, you know, um, I'm pushing ahead with it. Uh, risk taker, gut instinct, all of those key terms that you've heard about being an entrepreneur. But at the end of the day, if you cannot deliver what your thoughts are, and I think ultimately people underestimate patience and how long these things can take and that you have to keep at it. Um, and it's definitely like, I love the idea of bringing together all of the people that you believe in or that you've worked with in the past that you believe in, bringing them back together to help you achieve that vision. I think it's a lot about, it can be about teamwork, but you need people on your side. Yes. And I love in the, in the podcast that you talk about, The Good Look Project, um, you talk a lot about gut instinct. Um, and I know there's lots of data and things that goes into choosing where you want to be and what hotels you want to, um, to buy into or where you want to set up. But there was a really interesting moment in the in that podcast where you talk about seeing Sydney for the first time and going, I just need it to be there. And there's also an element of that, I think, that comes into entrepreneurship to go, even though the universe is telling me I shouldn't do it, it feels right. And I need to try. And I feel like that's probably something that you've, you've probably had to fight off a few people in the past that have said it won't work, it will never work. Oh, yeah. There are always so many naysayers around you. And it's usually the bean counters with the naysayers, right? They say it never works. And that's what makes it more exciting when they tell you that it can't be done. And this, I think you're, you're probably referring to my story on when I talked about in Sydney is that uh, this hotel we picked up. And now when I went to Sydney, I said, we have to be on the water. You know, Sydney is all about the water and, and it's a beautiful city. And, and there are only three hotels in the water. And um, I tried to bid on one of them. I lost that one. And then this other one came up and... Um, and I just, I, I liked it from the day I saw it. And uh, it was it was controlled by two other, well, it was earlier owned by two other groups. And one run it, ran it as a W hotel. And then the second group came in, which is Taj Group from India. Both are very successful hoteliers, as you know, and, and neither one of them, well, made it work. And when I looked at this project and I went to my banks, I said, listen, I'm interested in this project. And I said, these two hotel groups could not do it. What makes you think you can do it, you know, and your brand? I said, look, I just know I can do it because they've done, they've not thought through what they can really be done with this property. And it took me a bit of a while. And uh, 
I had to, of course, uh, my I had to convince a few banks, and I finally got what I wanted, and um, we built this, and and it's been the number one hotel in Sydney for a couple of years now. We've it's actually it was actually the number one hotel in Australia, uh, the entire Australia region, for two years or three years in a row, and that just tells you, you know what, you looked at something differently, and your gut told you, you know, there's more to it than the, what sees than what meets the eye. And just going about and, and executing and making that happen and making your people believe in it, that listen, we can make this work. So what if they couldn't? We know what to do with it. You know, just adding more meeting rooms um, where the lobby used to be. We turned that into a meeting area and put the lobby where it could be seen. So it's just the small things. I mean, it and it makes it happen. And we've never not looked back. We've been the number one hotel in uh and TripAdvisor for Sydney, and it's a uh, number one hotel in uh, in Australia. So we're really proud of that. It sounds like Girish, you're you're constantly evolving the your thought process about how you can improve upon what you've already got. And it, and I know that you've got development plans for future hotels. The thought process you go through each time you buy a new premise and look at sort of establishing this the, the new look and feel. To be honest, I had to be honest. I haven't stayed in any of your hotels. Um, do they each have a different look and feel dependent on the sort of the thought process at the time and the culture around it and what the requirements are within that particular market and region? Do, do they all have a different look and feel? Absolutely. Absolutely. Every hotel has a different look and feel. Uh, the one we're opening in South Yarra next year has got a very cool retro 70s kind of a theme look behind it. And uh, South Yarra is a very fashionable, you know, cool area of Melbourne and Everything is going to fit right in. And, I, you know, one of the reasons, again, behind this is I always, you know, uh, when people say, why do you make your hotel so different? I said, and I say, why do you guys make your hotels look the same? I could blindfold you. You know, I always joke about this. I said, if I blindfolded you, put you in a hotel room, took off a blindfold and said, okay, tell me which chain hotel you're in now. And the chances are you will not be able to guess because it's the same beige walls, dark mahogany table, the, the the carpet, and it looks the same. I mean, everything's the same about it, right? And all the chain hotels look alike. So I said, why should we adopt a cookie-cutter approach? I mean, you don't want to stay in the same thing again and again. So why provide a bit of difference? And and depends on, on you know, which country, which city you're in. We adapt to the, the local culture. We adapt to the local theme, and we take it from there. And, and what it also depends on what the theme is around, you know, globally what people are doing you know like like right now the the whole retro 70s look is the vibe is coming back in and and that's how we fashion this hotel behind so a lot of artwork that relates to this you know just fun stuff and that you know when you walk through the hotel it makes you smile and say hey here's something different again we all need a smile at the moment don't we and i, and I was reading i was reading as well today Gresh, that that hotel also has things like a vegan restaurant and there are certain innovations where clearly you you must have a team of people that are looking to consumer trends in different areas, how we move towards a more sustainable future, how we move towards more, you know, how we're all going to have to think differently. And we're already thinking differently. And it's like you guys must have a, you must look ahead to those trends and how you can see that people are, because we talk about trends on our website and some people go, oh, it just means that orange is popular this year. But it's not like it's the whole, you talk about the retro 70s and it's because there's been a shift and, and people are going back to an era that represents things that they believed in. And then, yeah, like there's the cool outfits as well. But, you know, there's a whole mind mindset that goes behind it. 
And so I, I saw that um, the Melbourne New South Yarra one is going to have like a vegan restaurant. You've also got things like that happening here in Sydney. And I think, yeah. do you have a, do you, how do you make sure you're on top of trends that aren't just trendy for now, but they're what people are going to buy into in the future? Or do you just, do you have a team or do you just, you're just kind of like, I guess when you live it and breathe it and love it, you're kind of always looking for outside influences. You're probably looking at outside of hotel world to see what you can bring in. Yeah, well, you know, Lisa, when we first started the, the our first vegan restaurant in Sydney, that came about. I mean, that took a bit of time to 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 really put in because, you know, whilst we were convinced that you know vegan veganism is is maybe something that a lot of people are looking for, and we actually again looked back to our demographics and we found that there are a lot of people who are ordering vegetarian food and and vegan food while they were there. I mean, while they were staying with us. And we said, look, maybe this is the, the kind of trend we should be looking for. And we said, let's try it out in one hotel, see how it goes. And uh, we, we brought in a very good chef from uh, L.A. called Matthew Keeney, and who's a guru of vegan food. And uh, he put together the whole thing for us. And uh, my CEO in, uh, in Australia drove the whole project, uh, Dave Paswal. And he was also, he, he bought into it much more than I did in the beginning. He said, we'll make this happen. And uh, we just went about it, and it's been it's been very successful. And we felt that yes, today the people are interested in vegetarian, vegan food. So we're also looking at how we can bring in some kind of sustainable farming into the hotels that can allow which have the space where we can grow our own vegetables. And uh, one thing we're definitely going to be doing is sourcing more locally and importing less so that, you know, we can help the local merchants, especially in a time of, you know, after this whole thing is real now, as well as when everything is back to normal, is how do we support our local merchants and, and bring the business back to them. So we're going to do as much as we can. And, and of course, if we start growing our vegetables and anything excess we have, we'll give it back away to the community. That's really exciting. You're kind of almost setting yourself up for in like minimal communities, even in each location. You've kind of got the local community and then the people who come in to stay at your hotels. I think that's it's a really great incentive. Exciting. So Lisa, you mentioned one of my, you know, I always go by these uh, three P's and four P's and so on. So we mentioned one of them, one of my, my, when people ask me, what is some advice you give? I said, patience. You talked about right patience and that's why you know most important p because that was one thing i wasn't i was not patient i wanted to be that you know, that light switch moment you you flick the light switch on and light has to come on right away so you know being patient it half the time when you come up with a new idea it takes a long time for it to work um you know and and i've learned that now is that you know, sometimes when you put out a cross of marketing uh, you know, proposal and or a new idea, sometimes it takes a little bit of time for the people to really understand it and say, hey, this is for real. These guys are not joking about this and they are actually going forward with this. And, and that takes time. And so I've started to learn all about this. Uh, when I first started my business, um, you know, people said I was way ahead of my time and maybe it's not right for the market. And you say, hey, you know what? My gut tells me it's right, but what do I do? I mean, you know, how do I keep going? I mean, so you have to continue to persevere as well. That's another P for you. Um, and uh, so these are some things I've learned. And uh, uh, so I'll tell you the four Ps I have, which one, patience, uh, persevere. Um, don't procrastinate. Well, procrastination is wrong. And, uh, you know, avoid pro procrastination. Uh, be positive and the new P I just came up with yesterday because we're preparing for this is be pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> I think so, it's okay. 
when you're pissed off about what you're seeing in other hotel businesses or, or the things that you don't like in other hotels, you know, all the things that pisses you off, you make sure you don't do the same thing. That ripples back to your passion, doesn't it? You're so passionate to go to change it. <laughs> That's true. They're great. They're fantastic. They're great. One of the other questions that we had for you, Girish, I think was quite fascinating, is um, obviously understand the challenges that this year has presented to us in terms of, especially with you guys in Hong Kong, with the unrest that's been happening. That must have affected your businesses in Hong Kong, not just your business, every single business within the community. And then a couple of that, we've got the pandemic and we've also, I guess, more recently had the racial equality movement, which is sort of spreading across the world. It's been a particularly challenging year so far. Um, how have you managed to cope through this? And obviously we've seen it through your innovation and how you've been um, looking at pre preventing your customers from having a, a, a sub-service, so providing them with the best service you can. How else have you managed to sort of navigate yourself through this year without obviously having the business suffer so much? So, you know, when this whole thing hit, um, it hit Hong Kong and China, China first and then Hong Kong forward very shortly afterwards. And this was already in early February for us. And I started warning my people in Australia. I said, listen, guys, uh, be careful. And this thing's going to come your way. And of course, everybody at that time thought their countries were immune to it. And uh, they had the perfect solution to it all. And, and then when it started coming around, you know, it started spreading all across the world. And, you know, you had to start taking measures. You know, one of the things I learned and one of the you know, one of the areas I ignored probably when things were all right was was probably HR. Now all of a sudden HR became your best friend. You know, you're talking to to them every day and understanding what they can do and and how do we you know um, uh, what's the word in Australia stand down or furlough, right? Yeah. What can you do? How can you do it in a better way that it doesn't affect as many people? And you know. I started talking to HR every other day and then learning what we can do and how we can make the impact less. That was very important. And I learned a lot about HR, to be honest with you. Um, this is one of the departments I don't uh, get much involved in, but uh, I got to learn a lot. But also, I think, um, you know, I also learned about processes. Um, I learned about where, you know, because when you had to start looking through and saying, where can we save money? And you start seeing, you know, some of the things that, that went on, you know, because you just, when things are fine, you know, you kind of just close one eye. And, and now you started looking at every part of the operation saying, hey, wait a minute, why are we doing this? We should not be doing this regardless of good times or bad times, right? You should, we should be careful of this. And you started fixing all the processes. So I think the first, you know, couple of weeks, I would say two, three weeks were spent with just HR and and fixing the processes, fixing the operations, and saying, look, listen, we got to clean up our act now, guys. This is not a joke anymore. And we 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 started to do all of those things. So not just in Hong Kong, but in Australia as well. And of course, I could not travel to Australia, so you know, I was pretty much on Zoom and and Teams call, uh, you know, much of the day. And um, it it just had to happen together, everyone. And then. Some of my team members are in Brisbane, some are in Sydney, and some are in Melbourne, and they couldn't travel amongst each other as well. So it was like a four-way thing now, right? So the states had closed off each other. So it became very challenging. But I think we learned one thing that was very important was how do we work as a team and how do we make everyone, you know, understand what we are doing and why we are doing it. I think that, that was very important. So we went about all those things, and uh, and that's when we started thinking about what is it that customers would be looking for, and we started thinking of 
new ways of innovation or more than innovation was what is the new touch points that they would like to see you know a, a lot of people i mean you no know, the cleaning standards have, standards have always been there right i mean but now of course you have to go one level higher and leave alcohol swipes in the room so that people could clean their own remotes if they wanted to although you know we've done it look today no matter what i mean how good a hotel tells me they've cleaned the the room i would still want to clean the remote control i still want to clean the places i'm going to touch the most by myself to make sure it's done correctly right so you provide all those things but of course you also say hey look so we've done as much as we can but here are a few extra things for you to do on your own to have your own peace of mind right so it's just understanding where the customer is going to be going next and but i think you know um you you do as much as you can and you know you have to make sure the employees are safe uh because they are going to be in the front front line they're going to be meeting people so we've asked our employees part of our playbook is that uh you know employees have to wash their hands every 30 to 60 minutes no matter what you're doing every 30 to 60 minutes you have to wash your hands once even though you shook hands with anyone you have to do it so it's just a small things that keeping them safe we were the first hotel to initiate the mask wearing in australia well mask wearing anywhere because we said listen it's about you we want you to be safe more than anything else and our customers should also know that we care enough that we'll wear a mask even if we don't wear one so you know it's just making sure we do all of those things and uh, and uh keeping it as uh, you know as safe as we can for everyone and i think the way that you've done it is quite good in that like you've done it with a ripple of humor and that, well i mean that's definitely why it stood out across the in australia is you've got that kind of like that Aussie humor and stuff and i know we've still got the sarcasm you need a bit more sarcasm to have the british humor but i think even the campaigns that you run and it's why i followed you for quite a long time is in terms of the tone of voice it's always with a smile and in times like this we're looking to brands to businesses to people like yourself like a human behind the brand to make us smile and you will see that you know making other people smile must make you smile too because that's kind of why we do what we do because we want to help and kind of make other people give them a big grin on their face and so i think that's really helped so yes you guys have done the sanitizing and everything well but you've made a little campaign out of it you've given us a smile to actually really like that they're a bit upon those guys and it comes and it comes and it comes through on everything you do and i think that's what's kind of also it's been really good in times like this and in general that you've been able to carry that humor through yeah now thank you for that and uh, yes this has been this is important I, i think it's a lot to do with uh, as i said one of our you know key messages always how do we connect with the customers emotionally and and understand what they're looking for and if we find a message is boring and if we look at some of the people or some of the messages they're putting out like i said there are a lot of cool hotel brands out there but it's not a cool experience and and what they're putting out is not cool i mean they try and make things rhyme and and whatever it is but it doesn't relate to anyone i mean i don't even understand what what they're talking about half the time because it just defeats it i mean so i said look well, how do we relate to people how you know and music is through one way i think music is probably a very important part of what we do and that's why when you walk into a overlo hotel lobby it's you know it's got music it's loud it's vibrant and it's fun and it's music you can relate to it's 80s music it's you know you can tap your feet and you know people just get it i mean when i when i'm in the hotels and i i really love to see people in the lift they're kind of like hey i love the song i forgot about the song and you know when you hear those kind of comments you say all right we did things right <laughs> it gets people talking as well doesn't it it's like a reason to not have that awkward moment in the lift okay yeah, exactly. right. yes what, what what would be your favorite song from the 80s though, 
Oh, I got so many. One of my favorite artists is David Bowie. Legend. <laughs> my all-time favorite. That's right, David Bowie. Um, so that's one of my favorite. And you know, from David Bowie, there's always, of course, "Rebel Rebel," one of my favorite songs. <laughs> that's the only one that I own on an old-style record. Is a gift. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. So yeah, a lot of '80s. Uh, and it's, it's uh, the the whole theme around everything is around music about how you keep yourself entertained and talking to people. I think that's important. Our social hours so important to us, it, not only for the guests that they get their free drinks or so on, but our people, our GM has to be there during happy hour or social hour, and some of our key members, whoever is in the hotel at that time, have to be present because they can connect with our guest. They can see what they're saying. If there's something that they don't know, or the guests tell them something, we know what we're doing. And if the guests want to know, hey, where's a good Chinese restaurant? You can say, hey, meet so-and-so guest, uh, you know, who's, who's sitting there, and let me take you to him, introduce you to him, because he just went to a great Chinese restaurant yesterday, and he can tell you all about it. Right? So it's an interaction. You interact not just with hotel staff, but other guests. Now, how many hotels can you do that in, right? How the time you go up to somebody in a hotel and say, hi, my name is so-and-so, they think you're a stalker, right? I do it. But here we encourage that. So you get to know about different things in the city. You get to know from our people. Our people connect with you. And I think that's a very important part of, of the whole journey of you know, social art and why we started this the social hour and people thought it's just about drinking. Hey, I well definitely do enjoy your drinks, right? That's important. Also, you oh, get yeah. to meet people, right? Yeah, I think that's why the the demographics liked us because the free happy hour, free mini bar. It just happens. <laughs> you just gotta bring bring in the Bunnings hot dog and you'll be. <laughs> oh, I love it! I love it. Personal connection, brand personal connection. Um, Girish, what we didn't do actually at the front of this conversation is ask you an icebreaker question. So what we'll do is we're going to ask you the icebreaker question at the end. Lise, do you want to ask Giresh an icebreaker question? I don't know. I know we, say, we sent you three different ones, and I don't even know which one I want to pick anymore. So I guess we've just talked about celebrities, and you can't have David Bowie, unfortunately. So if you could have someone who was representing the Avolo brand, who was famous, I know your people, whoever goes there, are famous too, but who would be your dream guest at Avolo? Who do you want to see walk through the door? Whom I would really like to see is... Uh... Let me see, a famous hotelier, Conrad Hilton. Oh, I would wow. Conrad Hilton to walk through an overload and say, wow, somebody's transformed our industry and, and done something completely different from the usual Hiltons, right, that he built. Look, he is a great hotelier. I mean, he turned the, the whole hotel world upside down. And I hope he says, well, somebody's turned it upside down again. And, uh, and so I'd love to have him there and to see his reaction when he walks through an overload. That's a testament to how much you love what you do. Like it ripples through everything, doesn't it? Like, yeah. <laughs> even even your, the people you look up to are in the same industry. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, listen, Girish, I really appreciate your time today. And thank you so much for sort of informing us and telling us so much about sort of how fantastic the uh, Volo Hotels group is. And uh, I have to ask very quickly, the pictures in your background, which I'll have to send us, put a screen grab into the show notes. Who are those characters in the back? Because they look incredible. I'm staring at them. Yeah, it's a it's a Cuban artist, and uh, you know that these guys were were holding an egg, and I got the artist to change it to the the overall silver egg. <laughs> so the overall silver egg, if you can see that. I can, yes. 
Awesome. Ah. So this is a, an audio <laughs> podcast. So at the moment, Girish is a background uh, of about I don't know, probably ten or twelve um, portraits of people sat down in their seats holding these silver eggs, and they look awesome. Really great, Girish. It's <laughs> um, like a Cuban take on the um, the Usual Suspect. Yeah, <laughs> um, what we're going to do, Grish, is we're going to put um, a lot of links to your hotel, uh, to some of the hotels and some and the other sort of uh, websites that you've got um, into the show notes. Uh, and Lisa will do the same. Um, Girish, if people wanted to get in contact with you or talk to you about your hotel group or anything like that, how is the best way to people to sort of get in touch? Through LinkedIn. LinkedIn is probably one of the best ways they can reach out to me, uh, either through Overlo Hotels or through Girish Junjunwala. Fantastic. Thank you ever so much, Girish. Thank you. Girish, we'll, uh, we'll look forward to seeing how the uh, hotel groups develop over this sort of, certainly the, the coming years. And I, I know you've got one come up in Bali, I think. So I'll hopefully come yes. up and uh, have a visit to that at some point in the very near future. Thank you ever so much. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, Thank you very much. Thank you very much. <laughs>